0: Well, we had an interesting Sunday this past Sunday with no power, but we had some water bottles in a cooler, we had the doors open, we came to church in our shorts and t-shirts, and even though we didn't have any power or AC, we still had church, and of course those who who, who physically couldn't be there watched on Facebook Live and we just continued on for the cause of Christ. So we're continuing in our series entitled, You Are Here, and the title of the message for this past Sunday was Discipleship. Please enjoy. We are, uh, man, it's been quite a week with everything we've got going on with the storm and now with the aftermath of that. And uh, we're just going to keep plugging along just like uh, we got power. And I'm just going to keep preaching in the uh, series that I started a couple weeks ago. And I'm going to go ahead and jump into that where we can get into some AC. And uh, so Mark chapter 4 and verse number 7. I want you to not only turn to Mark 4, but I want you to also turn to Ezekiel 2. Because and mark your place in Ezekiel 2 because uh, we're going to go back to Ezekiel 2 uh, a little later. But uh, Ezekiel 2, Mark, Ezekiel 2, and then turn over to Mark 4. And I'll give you all just a second to do that. Man, I wasn't here for the storm. I was in Missouri, but I saw the radar and y'all just got pounded man just tangible pairs just got Oof. just got it got it bad and so but we are thankful that there was no injury and i don't know if anybody around this area close to us that lost their homes or got injured or died and so that's a blessing although a lot of people uh did lose their homes there are people who did lo- lose their lives and uh, we need to remember them in constant prayer for the next week. Remember, just like we said in our prayer time, we need to remember the first responders. And we need to remember the linemen who are out there, um, you know, getting, getting power back to us. Man, these, these lines are just a tangled mess. Just the trees on them. It's just a mess out there. Now, I've heard some of you say that it's definitely not as bad as Katrina was. The actual power poles were snapped off. But um, it, it is pretty bad out there. So uh, we'll just remember that. Mark chapter 4 and verse number 7. Let's stand to read one verse, pray, and then we'll sit back down for the message. Mark chapter 4, verse 7, one verse. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. So let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Dear Lord, be with us as we look through the scripture, Lord, as we dissect it, as we digest it, Lord, and may it n- nourish our bodies, Lord, feed our souls, and grow us to be better Christians. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So we are in a series called You Are Here, and the, uh, the message uh, today is entitled, this The Step of Discipleship, This Stage of Growth, which we're going to call discipleship. And I'll go back through the map here in a minute. But in this parable, we see that there are four groups of people. Now, traditionally, we are taught in the parable of the sower the parable of the soils uh, whichever you want to call it uh, we are taught traditionally that these first three groups are the lost and that the last one is the saved so what we do is when we're saved Christians we look at this parable and we think oh man these 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 you know these first three they're lost people and I'm saved so I'm in this last group where you know they're growing fruit and thirtyfold and sixty fold a hundredfold And so I'm good. And so this parable, it really only applies to the lost. And I can't apply this parable to my life because I'm a saved Christian. And I just don't think that's so. I think this parable does apply not only to the lost, but also to the saved. It applies. This is how people receive the word. And for Christians, these are different stages of maturity and and growth in our Christian life. Like I said a couple weeks ago, so much of this parable applies to me in my Christian life. Have I ever ignored the word of God and let it come in one year and out the other absolutely? Have, have I ever let the cares and worries of this world choke out the word? Yes, I have. And you know, in my Christian life these things have happened. So, you know, we're just going to look through this. So let's recap what we've got with these four stages. This first stage The stage where the birds came and take the seed away. And what is the seed, by the way? The seed is the word of God. Some people say the seed is is Jesus. That's true. Some people say the seed is is the gospel. That's true. That's all the word of God. The seed is the word of God. So this first group of people we've called, they're exploring God. Okay, they're exploring God, they come to church, because these are four groups of people that come to church. They come to church, they're lost, they, they have not discovered that thing that's going to take them into a relationship with God. They're fellowshipping with us, even though they're not saved. So like I said, we're calling this, this fellowship, but this first group, they're exploring God. The second group is beginning in God. Now they've discovered that thing, and I'll tell you about that in a second, that has taken them into a relationship with God. They have a relationship, first we had fellowship, but now we're beginning in God. Now that we're beginning in God, now we have a relationship with God. After a minute, then we mature and we grow to the next stage, which is close to God. And we're calling this stage of maturity, we're calling this discipleship. So now I'm close to God. I understand that in order for me to get from beginning in God to close to God, I've got to do some work on my own. I've got to take the Bible and I've got to do some work outside of class. I can't just depend on, on the church and the pastor to feed me. I've got to feed myself. So now we're close to God. This final stage is when you accept the word, and we're going to call this God-centered. And the title we're going to give this stage is Lordship. So now I'm God-centered. I have, I have Lord, He's Lord of my life. And we said even though there are four stages, there are three steps. Because even though I have four fingers, I have three gaps in between my four fingers. So there are three stages of growth, but there are four steps. Now, what this first step is that takes you from fellowshipping in God and exploring God to beginning in God to actually having a relationship with God is grace. Grace is something that we don't deserve. It's something we can't work for. You see, these lost, this, this, this first group is the lost and they are still trying to work their way into heaven. They're still trying to get to heaven by works. Once you understand grace, then you go to the next stage. Now, what's going to take you uh, to this discipleship, what's going to take you from beginning in God to being close to God is God's Word. So first we have grace, and then we have God's Word. God's Word is going to grow you. God's Word is going to mature you. It's going to bring you closer to God. Now, this final step that brings you to Lordship we said is giving. And I had to uh, proviso. Uh, just because I said giving doesn't mean we're going to pass the, the offering plates two or three times a day. That's not, not what it means. When I say giving, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about giving your life away to the cause of Christ. Giving your life away to God. Okay, so these are the four levels, uh, four stages of growth. There are th- four stages, three steps. At each stage, the enemy attacks. And what does he attack? He attacks the seed, which is the Word of God. The devil attacks me and you by attacking the word of God, that's his M.O. That's what he does. He did that in the Garden of Eden. He perverted the words of God. He he attacked the word. That's how we attacked Eve. He did that in the wilderness with Jesus. He used the word of God against Jesus. He attacks us by attacking the word of God. Now, Tom Hanks is one of my favorite actors. Uh, I love Tom Hanks. Now, one of my favorite movies of Tom Hanks is Castaway. My wife hates the movie Castaway. It's just Tom Hanks on a deserted island, and, you know, uh, she just can't stand it. And the thing about that movie is you either love it or you hate it. And, uh, you know, me personally, I'm like Tom Hanks in a soccer ball on a deserted island. I mean, tons of fun. I mean, you can't. You can't go wrong there. It's just a, a winning combination. And, and so uh, I'm thinking about this movie. and But, you know, my favorite character in this movie has got to be Wilson. Wilson! It's got to be my favorite character. Now, listen. You want me to preach the Word of God today? I'm going to preach the Word of God today. If, if you watched that movie and you saw Wilson float off into the horizon and Tom Hanks just sobbing uncontrollably because Wilson went away and that didn't just break your heart then you then you don't have a heart you do not have a heart you there's there's no hope for you <laughs> So, but, but you know the story, Tom Hanks fell asleep and Wilson's floating off into the distance and something's pulling him away and so he goes out and dives out and tries to get to, the, to, to Wilson, but he's got a rescue line attached to his raft and the current is pulling his raft away. Now he has a choice, he can let go of the line and get to Wilson, but then he's dead or he can hold on to the line that's dragging him in another direction and it will his life will be saved but he'll sacrifice wilson which by the way spoiler wilson came back to life at the end of the movie so just spoilers there for you and so the the but but i was thinking about that because this, this made me think of currents there's always a current pulling you away from god Always. It's always there. There will will never come a time, even in lordship, there will never come a time when there isn't a current pulling you away from God. That is always going to be present. And we have to be aware of this because, you know, there's always going to be this pull away from the Lord because we are flesh and we have a sin nature and we are depraved and and our flesh is a part of us. Now, let's go back to Mark 4.7. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it yielded no crop. Then he explains it in verse 18 and 19. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So I want you to notice here what this this whole parable is about an enemy. That's what this parable is really about. It's an enemy that is attacking us. All four stages, and an enemy is after us. Okay? Now, the last time we talked, we talked about how in the Bible, there are types, there are shadows in the Bible, there's symbolic language in the Bible, there's parabolic language in the Bible. And we looked at last week, uh, last time I was with you, how many times in the Bible that birds represent Satan and his demonic spirits? In the first part of this parable, he says that the birds come and steal the word. And then they asked him, Well, what, are the, what does that mean? And Jesus said, Oh, the, the birds are Satan. The birds are Satan. And he said about this parable, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand the rest of them? He's saying, I am introducing you to a parabolic, symbolic language that you're going to need to understand my words. This is important for us to understand. Now, in Matthew, he tells the parable of the sower, and then he turns right around and tells us another parable. He tells us about how the kingdom of God is like a tree that grows, and then he says the birds came and make their nest in it, and we talked about how, oh, the precious little birdies, making the little nesties in the trees, oh, that's so cute, but if we didn't realize that Jesus told us what birds represent, that's what we would think, but the birds represent Satan as demonic forces, and those are, those are demonic spirits infiltrating, infiltrating the church, trying to destroy it pick it apart. And and Jesus is saying that if you don't understand that there are symbolic meanings behind my words, then then the devil can convince you that most of this book does not apply to you. And if you think that most of this book does not apply to you, then you are not going to grow. You can't grow as a Christian. It's imperative that we understand the word. Now, When I'm preaching a sermon series, before I preach another portion of that series, I go back and I re-listen to what I've already given you. And I noticed I said something last time I preached on this that I want to clarify. I said the last time I preached that this whole Bible applies to us, and I want to clarify that statement. There are, parts in the, there are things in the Bible that do not directly apply to us. And I just want you to understand that. There are some things, say for instance in the Old Testament, that refers uh, just to the Old Testament Jews. Otherwise, you couldn't eat bacon. Okay? But, you know, because that was part of their dietary restrictions. Now, Listen. That might not directly apply to us. But the Bible says that all Scripture is inspired and given for and is profitable for teaching. All of it. See, God knew something that the Jews didn't know. And so let's just take this thing about bacon. Okay? It is lawful for us to eat it, but the reason why he told them not to is because God knew it was bad for them. Okay? Uh, So for us, a little bacon is okay, a lot of bacon will get you a lot of dead. Okay? So, you know, because God knows, God knows what he's talking about. So even though, oh, let's go on, let's, let's go on to the next thing. So, but, but here's the thing, what I'm saying is, even though something in the Bible might not directly apply to you, there's always a spiritual truth that you can dig out that will help you in your Christian life. And that is, that is the point I was trying to make. Now, last week we talked about birds, okay? Uh, because the reason why is, is we looked at the Bible, and, and, and I want you to hunger for the Word. And I want you to realize that there's more to this book than meets the eye. Now, this week we're going to look at thorns. In this portion, in this stage of the parable, thorns come up and they choke the word. For anybody also, I just want to remind everybody that there is water in that cooler for everybody. Cold water. If you want some water, please be my guest and go get some. Uh, No, because I'm going to be drinking mine. And uh, so just wanted to put that out there. But so what are thorns in the Bible? Well, before we can talk about thorns, I want to talk about another word in the Bible that will help you understand, and that is the word scorpions. It's the word scorpions, okay? What do scorpions represent in the Bible? Well, let's, let me read for you Luke 10, 17 and 18. The 70 returned with joy, so this is 70 that he sent out, they returned, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Man, even the demons, are they obey us in your name. Man, we can command these demons. Verse 18. And he said to them, Jesus, I, watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You know what Jesus is basically saying there? They're saying, man, we, you we, know, we, 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 these in, in your name, we can control these demons. And Jesus is trying to keep them humble. And Jesus said, that don't impress me. I saw Satan himself fall from heaven. Well you're saying, that doesn't impress me. In fact, later on in the chapter, Jesus tells them not to rejoice in this. But I want you to listen to what he says in verse 19. I'm going to read verse 17 and 18 again. And then I'll read verse 19. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Verse 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Okay, so either Jesus, either he ignored what they just said, Or he responded to what they just said. What do you think he did? Like he responded. He didn't just gloss over it. He didn't ignore it. He responded to what they said. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus was like, "Uh uh-huh. I give you authority over serpents and scorpions. I give you authority over that. So even, yeah, of course, I told you. That it's very clear here that serpents and scorpions represent demons. Or else, hey, I and mean, we need to get the deacons together and we need to go get some snakes and bring some snakes into the church. You ready for that, Marcus? You, wanna, uh, you bring a snake into this church, you'll see a bread-sized hole in that wall. Okay, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that. Okay? But do you understand how dangerous it is to not understand this parabolic language in the Bible? You, got, you do have churches bring snakes up into church house. I heard a story about a, a preacher in New York who was handling snakes and he got bit and he died. And then his son got the ministry, and a few years later, he got bit and he died. Like I said, Brett size hole. Okay? now listen uh you this is it's imperative that we understand this language that the Bible speaks we have to understand it okay and, and we'll never we'll never do that if we don't understand that Jesus sometimes speaks in a spiritual language and listen you don't have to guess when the Bible speaks symbolically it will tell you it will tell you when it's being literal it will tell you when it's being symbolic. Okay? And listen, talking about scorpions and serpents as demons, that's a very Jewish thing to do. And it's something that his Jewish disciples knew what he was talking about. Okay? So with that in mind, let's look at Ezekiel 2. Ezekiel 2, we're going to read verses 3 through 6. And then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people, Who have rebelled against me, they and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, and they will know that a prophet has been among them. Verse 6. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though sit though thistles and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Now, let's do our little test. Is the Bible speaking literally here? Well, if he was sitting on a bunch of scorpions, he'd be dead. So the Bible's not speaking literally here. He's speaking symbolic, isn't he? Okay? He's not talking about literal thorns and scorpions here. Can you just imagine uh, Ezekiel walking through the land? Thus saith the Lord. Oh, oh, man. Stepped on a scorpion. They're everywhere. Thus saith the Lord. Oh, man, my robe. It got torn by a, by a thorn. What? Oh, well, God told me they would be here. He told me the thorns and the scorpions would be here. I should have expected it. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking. I hear Caleb cracking up. um, uh, uh, That he's not talking about literal thorns and uh, literal scorpions here. Um, Let me get back to my place. Okay. Um, What he's saying is, is my people have gone away from me, and now the enemy has come in. The enemy has come in, and Ezekiel, now that the enemy has come in, now when you preach, when you prophesy, you're going to have to deal with thorns, or you're going to have to deal with scorpions. Okay? Why am I? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And why am I showing you these verses? I haven't even got to my three point message because I'm a I'm a good Baptist. But God, I got me a three point outline. I haven't even gotten to it yet because I'm trying to show you something. Uh, because I, I don't want to just give you a fish. I want to teach you how to fish this principle has opened up the word of God to me in ways that I never knew possible. I want to share it with you. Okay. And so we, we, we kind of have to, we have to understand this. And so, um, let me show you another. All right. So the word in Greek for angel is angelos. In fact, that word is in your New Testament 186 times. Seven of those times had to be the number seven to my Revelation class. Um, seven of those times is translated as messenger, but it's still the same word, angelos, angel. Okay, so let me read with that in mind. I want you to watch this next verse and watch the context here. Second Corinthians 12, seven. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason to keep me from exalting myself there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Now listen. There it is. Alright, so what? He, what so he's about to tell. you know a lot of people have debates on what Paul's thorn in the flesh was when he tells us what it was. He told us what it's thorn in the flesh was. He's about to tell us what it is. Uh, comma, a messenger, that's the Greek word angelos, angel of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. People want to ask, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? We know what it was. It was an angel of Satan. Was a messenger of Satan. It was an angelos of Satan. The, The more correct question would be how did it manifest? Now, it could have manifested in a lot of different ways. A lot of people think it manifested in poor eyesight, which is. What I tend to believe. Other people think that Paul's thorn in the flesh were the Jews that come after him. But however, it manifested, the point is we know what the thorn was. He told us the thorn was a messenger of Satan. It was an angel of Satan. It was an angel of Satan. You understand that there are good angels and bad angels, right? That he took a a third of the angels with him. Okay, he has demonic spirits that do his bidding, that do his work, that work his influence. They fail with him. And right there in Scripture, it tells us what thorns are. Brad, are you telling me that in Numbers, because i got another verse in Numbers, that in Numbers and Ezekiel and Corinthians and Mark, that thorns mean the same thing? Yes, because the same person wrote the book. The same dude wrote the whole thing. His name is God. And it's a good book. It's a bestseller, actually. Okay? Of all time. And, you know, we read little phrases like that. Oh, I got a thorn in my flesh. It's a messenger of Satan. And man, we think it's just a little cliche saying. It's a figure of speech like Grandpappy used to talk about. No! It's not like Grandpappy. It's not like Grandpappy. It means something. Okay? Look, uh, uh, God doesn't say anything by accident. You see a word, you want to know what it means, you get out of concordance, you look up every place that word is in the Bible, and the Bible will define itself. The Bible will define itself. In Revelation, it talks about locusts with the sting of a scorpion, And they won't be able to hurt green trees, but they can harm people that don't have the the seal of God in their foreheads. Okay? What are green trees? Psalms 1 says that the man that meditates on the word is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Okay? That's what it says. There's one teacher that taught that, you know, the, the locusts are helicopters. I don't know that. I don't... You know, there is another teach that another teacher may teach that man that that is just so literal that the the earth is gonna open up in these These creatures are going to come out and they're going to, you know, uh, have the body of a locust and the face of a man and and hair of a woman and tail of a scorpion. And while I'm not going to say that's not out of the realm of possibility, if, if you want to know what locusts are, you go to the Old Testament. The Bible will tell you what group of people he calls locusts several times in the Old Testament. And he always calls the enemies of God locusts. Except these locusts, these enemies of God, are going to have the power of demons. See, the Bible will explain itself. Now listen, here's another thing I want to tell you. But I've got to put a preface on this. A lot of people get confused about this. The promised land doesn't represent heaven. Why? Because there are enemies in the promised land. In heaven, there will be no enemies. Okay. The promised land actually represents the victorious Christian life. All right? It actually represents the victorious Christian life. And if you drive the enemies out of that land, then you can live in peace and safety. Okay? You can live right where God wants you to live. Let me read for you Numbers 33, 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, and then it shall come about that those who, whom you let remain of them will become as pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides. And they will trouble you in the land you live. That's pretty clear to me. Let me read you another, Judges 2, 3. They Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. What does that mean? Well, you got to remember that Israel had literal enemies, while me and you have spiritual enemies, okay? We have spiritual enemies. And he's trying to tell us, if you don't drive out bitterness... And anger, and resentment, and hate, and malice, and envy, and lust, and pride, and anger. If you don't drive those out of your life, they're going to be a thorn to you. They're going to be a thorn to you. They're going to be a thorn in your side, and a spirit is going to come and attack you in that area if you don't drive it out. If you allow those things to stay in your life, that spirit's going to come and it's going to taunt you in that area of your life. you got to drive it out. Okay, so let's get back to, now that I've showed you that, let's get back to the Scripture. And Jesus tells us at this stage in our maturity of the Christian life that there are three things, three areas that the enemy attacks in. So let's look at them. My three-point message, here it is. Point number one. The cares, in some versions, some translations say worries. So the cares and worries of this world is number one. All right, to that, let me read for you 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know, there's a saying in the in the world, and it's not a bad saying. I'm not preaching against the saying. In fact, uh, when I did my live update video this week, I actually said it at the end. OK, I guess I had this in, on my brain and I just said it out of habit. But there's a saying in the world where when you're saying bye to someone and you want to wish them well and wish them safety, you say, take care. You know, That's not a bad saying at all. I'm not telling you not to stop saying it. We know what you mean. But I was thinking about that this week. I'm thinking, take care. I don't want to take care. I don't want to take care with me. I don't want to carry care around with me everywhere I go. I I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to carry care. I want to cast care. I want to cast care away from me. Do you understand that you were not designed to carry burdens? Do you understand that? No, we are called in the Bible, we are called sheep. Sheep are not burden carrying animals. You'll never hear anybody going on a long journey saying, Hey, I need to rent some pack sheep. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not going to hear that, okay? Because sheep are not burden-bearing animals. We are not supposed to carry burdens. We're supposed to give the burdens to the shepherd. We're not to carry those burdens. But here's the problem. We, uh, we say we, we, we lay our burdens at the shepherd's feet, but then we don't leave them there there was this preacher who was talking to a lady and, and she was just all consumed and worried about worries and, and all these worries in her life. And she's worried about her kids and worried about her finances. She's worried about the economy and she's worried about the government and all this stuff like this. And she said, all this stuff, preacher, is just weighing me down. And, and the preacher said, have you, have you laid these things at the feet of Jesus? And you know what she told him? many times well how can you lay something down many times if you haven't picked it back up many times how can you lay something down many times if you haven't picked it up many times man i'm carrying oh i'm carrying jesus this is so heavy I, this this all this stuff is going on in my life and all this stuff going on in the world around me, it's just so heavy and it consumes me and I, I think about it every day and you know what, I'm just going to lay this down at Your feet, Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm just going to lay this down at Your feet. Please take it away from me. Well, if you're not going to do anything with it, I'll just take that back. And that's what we do. We lay them down, but before we leave, we pick them back up. We lay them down and then we pick them back up. And what did Jesus say that the cares of this world and that the worries of this world will do for you? It will choke the word. It will choke the word out of you. How many times have you been reading your Bible and you get done reading a chapter and you can't even remember what you just read because your mind was somewhere else? There was the influence of Satan on you trying to choke the word out of you. This world that Satan is the god of, okay, little g, this world is designed and orchestrated to distract us from the Word. Oh, really? I'm, I'm not distracted? Really? Let me tell you something. Our churches are more distracted today than they have ever been. Our, our churches, now listen, don't, don't get me wrong on this. Don't get upset at me about this. But our churches talk about Biden and Trump more than they talk about Jesus. They talk about Republican and Democrat and they talk about vaccinations and masks, pro and con. And you mean to tell me we're not distracted? Yes, we are. We are distracted. Well, if I don't worry about these things, who's going to worry about them? Jesus! Jesus is supposed to worry about it. You weren't designed to carry that care. You weren't designed to worry that worry. You weren't designed for it. You weren't built for it. That's why you have such a bad time with it. And Christians are worrying ourselves to death over this stuff. And we should be more concerned about the gospel. Devil has a plan and it's working. Listen, I have a pastime, and my pastime is aggravating people. If you let me know that something bothers you, I will drive it into the ground. Okay. When I was when I was a kid, me and my buddy were Sean were listening to my dad's music, and I played this song that my buddy absolutely hated, and it was "Inside the Pocket of a Clown" by Dwight Yoakam. And he detested that. Well, the worst thing he could have done was to tell me that he hated that song. I played that song 50 times that night just to, every time he thought I'd change it, I'd put it back on. And it was just because I still today, we're almost 40. That happened when we was 13. We're almost 40 and I still send him that song hidden in messages today just to mess with him. Because I know he doesn't like it. Now, here's the thing. What do you do with people like that? If you act like it doesn't bother you, then eventually it won't bother you anymore. They'll quit bothering you with it. If you keep letting the cares of this world get you down, guess what? The devil will throw it on even thicker just because he knows it gets to you. Now, look. I am not telling you not to watch the news. Bless God, if you want to watch the news, watch the news. Nothing wrong with it. I don't, but that's my personal choice. Bless God, if, if be, look, you want to watch the news? Man, go ahead and do it. I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm just saying every once in a while, why don't you turn it over to Gilligan's Island and see how the skipper and the professor are doing. See what kind of coconut foam that they made this week, you know? check out Lovey and see and some of the younger kids are like, what in the world? What show is he talking about? But, you know, turn it over there and watch it just a little bit. Uh, I'm just saying that, that, that if you keep letting the cares of this world get to you, it's going to get worse. Look, be informed, pray about it, do what's in your power to do and then just let it down at Jesus' feet and don't pick it back up. Right. Cast your care on him. You were not meant to pick up that burden. You were not meant to carry it. So don't lay it down and pick it back up. All right, number two, quickly. Number two, the deceitfulness of riches. 1 Timothy six seventeen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supply us with all things to enjoy. What is he saying there? He's saying, don't hope and don't trust in riches. And some of you were like, oh, well, this isn't about me. He's saying instruct the rich. I'm not rich. This doesn't apply to me. Oh, you're not rich. Why don't you go spend a couple of weeks in a third world country and then come back and tell me you're not rich? OK, OK. Um, So first he says, don't trust in riches. All right, back up at verse 9 and 10 in 1 Timothy 6. But those who want, some translations say desire there, to get rich, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't trust in money, don't desire money, and don't love money. Now, why would he say that? Don't trust in money, don't desire money, and don't love money. He's not telling you not to do good at your job. That's not what he's saying. The reason why he's telling us that is because there's something else that we're supposed to desire. There's something else we're supposed to trust in, and there's something else we're supposed to love, and that's God. We're supposed to trust God. We're supposed to desire God. We're supposed to love God. And money will take the place of God. You Think about it. Money can promise you things that only God can give you. Money will promise you hope. It will promise you peace. It will promise you happiness. It will promise you joy. It will promise you a better marriage. It will promise you a better house when only God can give those things. But money promises you all of these things. It'll promise you significance and identity. And, you know, money tries to take the place of God. Now, what did Jesus say? Man cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic word, and it stands for the Syrian God of riches. Okay? And Jesus is saying you cannot serve both. It's one or the other. And that's the deceitfulness of riches. That's the deceit right there. That's deceitfulness. Because money, can, money lies to you. Money says it can give you things that money can't give you. If it could, no millionaires would ever hang themselves. No millionaires would ever swallow the barrel of a gun. If money could deliver those things. But only God can do that. And then number three the desires for other things. You know, it's funny he says other things here. He just says things, other things. We know there's another passage that talks about things. And that's Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See what he says. He says that people that don't know about God, they they seek these things. But your heavenly father knows you need them. So later he says that your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask so remember, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. What he's saying is don't, don't, don't seek these things, seek God, and then later you can ask God for the things. When you were little and your parents are trying to teach you manners at the table, and so you need something, and so you go to reach for something, and mom goes, eh, ask. Don't reach. Do you think maybe God does the same thing? We go to reach for something and God's like, "Ah, ask. Don't reach. See, I shouldn't be reaching for the thing. I should be reaching for God and then ask him for the thing. And that's what he wants us to do. This word for desire other things is the Greek word epithumia, And in the word, in the old King James, it's translated as lust, okay? So this idea is, is, you know, Paul used the same word when he said, I desire to be in heaven, but it's better that I be here for you. Jesus used the same word when he said, I desire to eat this meal with you. Talking about the Last Supper. So wait a minute, Paul and Jesus are lusting? It just means strong. It just means passion. You're passion about, passionate about something. It just means passion. Okay? But, hey, look, God gave us passion. There's nothing wrong with passion, being passionate about something. But the devil takes your passion and turns it into lust. He turns it into lust. God wants you to be passionate about his kingdom. God wants you to be passionate about him. You know, there, there are other things that we could be passionate about, okay? Um, there could be other things, but we should be passionate about God. You know, if you have a lust problem, and I'm not just talking about, about sexual lust, about, it just could be any lust for something that you, if that's a sin. Okay, did you know that passion for Jesus drives out lust for other things? Did you know that? The Word can help you drive those things out of you, but be careful, it's a two-way street. Those other things can drive the Word of God out of you. My mom loves to plant flowers, impatience, um, all of it. Those things, they take constant care. And she always had a flower bed, always had potted plants. But you know what? It does no good to have a garden if you ignore the weeds. Because they'll come and they'll choke it out. And that's what he's telling us. The Word can drive those things out of us. But he's warning us that those things can choke the Word. Listen, planting truth Is not enough if you're gonna allow the garden to be overcome with weeds. It's not enough. You, 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 you get to the point in this level of maturity in your Christian life because you fall in love with the Word of God, but if you don't make a conscious effort to keep your life free from distractions, free from the cares of this world, free from the deceitfulness of riches, free from seeking these other things instead of seeking God, it's going to choke the Word out of you and you're going to stop growing and you're going to start regressing. Regressing. The truth will start to wither away in your life. Just let let me ask you this question, then we'll be done. What in your life is louder than the word of God? Think about that. The cares of this world and worries of those world. How loud is that turned up in your life? The deceitfulness of riches. How hard are you chasing the almighty dollar? These other things? Do you seek other things more than you seek the things of God? What in your life is turned up to 11? What's louder than the Word of God? And what we have to do as Christians, we have to turn the dial, take those other things, but we got to turn the dial down and grab the Word of God dial and turn it all the way up. This has got to be louder in your life if you want to grow. That's it. This has got to be louder.